Hey everyone, it's Henry, Mike, and Jeff of The Decentralists. Now our hot topics title today is, it's kind of humorous, Proton Torpedoed. <laughs> Love that. It's a good one, Mike. Uh, so what do we, we mean by that? Well, Proton Mail is a secure end-to-end -end encrypted email service developed by a group of scientists working at CERN in Switzerland. Released in 2014, Proton Mail was funded through a crowdfunding campaign, and they have amassed over 70 million users, most of them paying a minimum of $70 per year. On their website, Proton Mail touts that their servers are located in Switzerland and thereby subject to very strict Swiss privacy laws. This, they feel, is worth the price for their premium email service. Proton Mail is used by journalists, whistleblowers, and activists all over the world precisely because it's secure, private, and untraceable. Until recently, that is. Russell Brandom from The Verge recently exposed a major flaw in Proton Mail's business model, and ironically, it was those pesky Swiss privacy laws. So, this is a very interesting one. Michael, why don't you start us off? What exactly happened at Proton Mail? You know, I think maybe the first thing to, to kind of do is review just what exactly Proton Mail is. Proton Mail is kind of like the email equivalent of like WhatsApp, Signal, and Telegram. It is a encrypted end-to-end -end email service. So if you're somebody that uses email to communicate, like back in the days, you know, people would use SMS or at the beginning, Facebook Messenger, whatever, to communicate. Mm -hmm. And you want to be private and secure and encrypted and all of that good stuff, you would switch to ProtonMail. And, you know, the the idea with ProtonMail is, is that you can get... Uh, you know, encrypted addresses, they can be kind of weird garbledy things. It's all of this fun, great stuff. And so it's used by a lot of really kind of sensitive people, as well as just average people. And it costs money. It's about 70 bucks. What do you mean by garbled email addresses? Well, like, like you can, sometimes you'll see a Proton Mail address that'll be abjx57 at protonmail.com. And that's because what you can do with ProtonMail is you can either have an address that just says Mike at ProtonMail, or you can have this, this you can create like a like kind of an encrypted garbled email that you can exchange, say, if you want to sign up to a service or something, and then they don't, it's not really trackable back to who you are, mm. right? So they remove the identifier, okay? So it's all of this good stuff. But at the end of the day, what it is, is it's an encrypted, um, server-based, centralized email program, just like WhatsApp is a centralized messaging program. Okay. And so the idea is with ProtonMail, they're, 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 they're kind of, the way they raised money and the way that they got 70 million users was to say, we have these servers, these servers are based in Switzerland, which means they're under these really strict Swiss privacy laws. So we're going to be able to basically keep your data safe in these servers because it's in Switzerland. Okay. And so this is this is the idea. They're saying, oh, yeah, it's really hard. Well, that was until kind of last week. So last week, the uh, French authorities, so the police in France, they submitted a subpoena because they were trying to find uh, and identify and locate and arrest or whatever a climate activist. 
mm. in France. And by doing their, they run through social media, they're doing all this stuff. And this climate activist is being very careful about, you know, they don't want to advertise that they're an activist. I mean, if you've seen some of the recent stories, like 300 climate activists were murdered last year. Oh, man. Seriously, for doing their job around the world, protecting forests and stuff. So you can understand why you wouldn't want to let everybody know where you are. So this climate activist uses a proton mail address. And the French submit a, a request for a warrant to the Swiss authorities. And the Swiss authorities, and in this case, don't know why, approved the warrant. And what they did is they created a Swiss warrant. Okay, so now it's not oh. the French warrant. Now they have a Swiss warrant. Okay. You're in Switzerland. You have to obey the warrant. And But the pro, what, what was really egregious, and I found really egregious, was they took the they served the warrant on Proton Mail, and Proton Mail went into the back end on their servers to this climate activist's email account, yeah, and flicked a switch that enabled IP tracking. Oh, so what they did is they ran it for like three four days, and because we've talked about this before, because you know, let's say you're using Proton Mail on your phone or you're using it in your computer or you could be using it at like a library or an internet cafe that every time you send a message where it comes from and where it goes is recorded by proton mail servers not the content but the where it goes right so they run it for a week they give the details to the to the swiss the swiss give it to the french and they arrest the climate activist oh wow okay so jeff could proton mail have done anything different now i mean in the grand scope of things from, 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 from architecture to, to their response to, to the, um, to the French authorities, uh, to even how they conduct themselves in Switzerland from a legal perspective. What are your thoughts? So I think there's two components here. There's the legal component and then there's technical component. So the legal component, I'm not a lawyer and I'm certainly not a Swiss lawyer or a European lawyer. So I can't comment in too much detail or too much understanding on, on what the law is, although that, of course, has never stopped me before. Uh, so <laughs> I think, you know, if you, if you look at Apple, Apple has had similar, similar things in the past where they have been subpoenaed to provide this information or that information. Uh, and Apple has, in some cases, fought those requests. Mm -hmm. Why? Because Apple has the legal might there you know, worth billions and billions of dollars. Well, they're the biggest company in America. Yeah, they've got armies of lawyers. They can they can afford to do that, and uh, and and the American justice system moves slowly, so mm -hmm. they can counter sue and sue and counter sue and so on. So we 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 or I don't really know what the state of the legal environment is in Switzerland, such that if they get a subpoena. And they counter sue, do the constabulary show up a day later and and put all the principles of the company in jail or what what happens? I don't, I don't really know. Um, mm -hmm. So what what legal recourse they would have had to say no, we're not going to turn on IP address logging, and no, we're not going to comply with your order, or rather, we are going to counter sue or or, or what have you? I don't know. I can't can't answer that question. But judging by the fact that they responded quickly, that would suggest to me that their their legal options were few. 
Right. Now, architecturally, it's a different question. And, and I would suggest that part of the flaw here is that they had the ability to do this in the first place. So if they had architected their system such that there was no ability to log this information, then had the authorities come knocking and said, provide us this, and they were to have responded and said, well, we can't provide you that. We have no mechanism to get you this information. It doesn't exist. Here, come and audit our system and you see that what we're telling you is the truth. Then they wouldn't have been yeah, in contravention. Yeah. And, and we've seen this with other messaging platforms in the past that offer some degree of encrypted communication where they, they have no mechanism to do these things. So when the law comes knocking, they don't have, you know, they, they can legitimately say, sorry, I can't help you out. So I think that is the flaw in the design is because the authorities knew that they presumably knew that they had a means to provide this information. Uh, Proton Mail had had painted themselves into a corner, and and now they're putting the onus back on the users and saying, "Oh well, use a VPN or use Tor, and you you will be able to get around this." Whereas their message previously was, "You can trust us." Now they're saying, "Well, here's some workarounds you could have used," uh -huh. and really they should have thought of those workarounds ahead of time and built them into their architecture. So obviously, Proton Mail, like everything else on the internet currently is a centralized service. So can any centralized service provider be trusted if this can happen to Proton Mail? Well, you know, I, I, I mean, whether you can trust somebody is kind of independent of the architecture of the system, I would say. That's the first step, okay? Some people, I guess, are trustworthy. Some people aren't. But mm -hmm. this is a situation where you know, one of the things about kind of the centralization and the structure of these, this kind of cloud-based central service kind of internet is that a lot of the building blocks that they use are either standard or, or, or basically kind of dime a dozen, right? So, you know, if you're building a centralized server-based app, you can, you know, you can just in 10 seconds, you can set up a server in Amazon, right? Or in yeah, Google or yeah. one of their clouds, right? And then you just bolt together a bunch of different things. Like here's a, here's a service from some guy that allows me to, to do, to do email, right? An yeah, SSMTP yeah. and here's this and here's this. So there's all I this. Mean, you could do it in a day, stuff. couldn't you? You could pretty, pretty much. Right. And, and, you know, and, and if you think about it, I mean, structurally you look at ProtonMail and you know, what is it? It's, it's, it's WhatsApp for email, right? It's a server, that gives you an email address and, and they use encryption, which is great. Right. And they got a couple of little, you know, nifty things, but basically the, it's all their whole business model is it's in Switzerland. Right. Okay. And this is their response as well. But the truth of the matter is, is to Jeff's point is, so the first thing is, is when you're, if you're doing business legally in some jurisdiction and the law of the, the, the legal authorities of that jurisdiction produce you a warrant that says you have to do this or give us this information, or here's an email address. I need you to give me all the data. You have to give them basically what you have. You have to comply. You have to, well, of course, unless you want to go to jail. Right. Okay. And so you comply. And so it's to Jeff's point, right? The, the fact that they probably have this, you know, they've probably got like a standard kind of, you know, PKI encryption kind of software, 
right? They've got standard, you know, SMTP mail servers and and all of these, clearly, all of these logging and routing records, which come with these services, right? Because let's face it, remember, Henry, centralized internet's all about collecting as much data as possible on every bit that transits the net. Right. Right? So, so it's only logical that if you're using an off-the-shelf email program or an off-the-shelf, uh, you know, network program and all these other things, libraries, things like this. If you're using these off the shelf things, they were originally built to collect all this data. They have all the APIs to get everything. Totally. Right. And so basically what they did is they took this thing, you bolt it all together, you put encryption on top and you say it's safe. Oh, well, okay. We're going to do it one better than Facebook where they say it's safe and it's in, you know, it's, it's in their servers all over the world. They say it's safe because it's in Switzerland. That's like a double guarantee. Right. But as we know, even Switzerland is not sacrosanct. I mean, there used to be back when, when I was young, you know, and, 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 you know, back in the stone age, you know, remember Switzerland when it came to banking yeah, was always this country, right. Where they said, oh yeah, all these, all these criminals and, you know, ex Nazis and people like this were parking, you know, and dictators, big boxes full of gold. In Swiss banks, and the Swiss banks had this privacy law in Switzerland. They said, we're not giving that information to anybody. So it was a great tax dodge, right? Mm -hmm. And then you remember about 10, 20 years ago, they opened up about all that too, right? So now if you bank in Switzerland, the Swiss authorities will give up your information if they get a subpoena. Yeah, I remember that. The banking guys will, right? And that was like, what? So that kind of really kind of ruined that whole image for Switzerland, Right now, what you've got here is is basically is this the crack in the dam? So the 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 Proton Mail folks told everybody, sold all these people a bill of goods. I'm going to say it, okay? Where now even the activists, the journalists, the whistleblowers, right, and even the average citizens who who use and pay for this service for the privacy and air quote anonymity that it provides had no longer have that. And so if, mm-hmm. if you look at a company like ProtonMail and you realize, geez, you know, if I was going to use ProtonMail to whistleblow on something that was happening at the chemical plant I worked at, for example, and the chemical plant guy gets a subpoena by some judge that says, tell me who this, per- this person was. And then now you end up in jail or whatever. Who's going to whistleblow? Who's going who's gonna to let any of this stuff happen? Snowden doesn't do his thing if he's using ProtonMail now. Okay, well then, you know what I mean. So I don't. I honestly don't think you can. I, it's not the people, Henry. It's the it's the architecture that you can't trust. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Exactly, and I think there's one other key piece when we talk about architecture here, uh, and that's the fact that in the end, Proton Mail had to be able to talk to other email providers using standard email protocols. And email has, you know, the baseline email protocols have been around for 40 years now. I mean, we all sort of got our first email addresses 25, 26, 27 years ago, people at Mm -hmm. universities maybe 30 years ago. But this original protocol is is nearly 40 years old. And we can probably remember, those of us with gray hair or no hair, dialing up to the internet, and then we fire up Eudora, and then we watch that bar as all our emails download from the server then called, you know, on the internet, now called in the cloud, all our emails would download from that server onto our computer. 
when we sent an email, it would go from our computer to our ISP server, and then they would bounce it across the internet, and then it would live in another server until the recipient downloaded it. Well, that fundamental protocol of email has been largely unchanged for decades. Now, mm -hmm. there's now web interfaces on the front of it, and there's been various public-private key stuff, so just gibberish is coming down and, and this, that, and the other thing. But, but fundamentally, even if you have a Proton email account, if you want to send an email to grandma who's got a Gmail account, Proton has to be able to talk to Gmail right. using the standard mail protocols. That's right. And this is one of the reasons that people are starting to talk about moving away from email altogether. Uh, you know, it's why air quotes, the kids today are just using messaging and, and don't use email much. Not that they're that concerned about security, but to them, it's just not immediate. It's not, it's, it's old school. So this is the other thing when we're talking about architecture, it's not just that proton mail perhaps architected things wrongly. It's that, they had to leverage an architecture mm -hmm. and a protocol that is decades old so they could deliver this thing called email. And email is never going to be 100% secure because the servers have to know where the other servers are. It has to know how to route the traffic. If I send mm. you a postcard from Spain and I write your address on the back, you know, it goes to the post office, then to on a plane to Canada and then from Canada, email was inherently designed to behave in the, in the same kind of way. Oh, so that's yeah. the other question is if you want to be truly secure, perhaps the time has come to start looking at other offerings that, that move away from this somewhat dated email product. Ah, well said. So, so you touched on something because my next question was going to be, uh, well, how can we have privacy or anonymity or security online? Um, and essentially, you're saying we've got to move to a different system, right? If your objective is 100% privacy, and I mean, if you're if you're Donald Trump or some mafia boss, you don't everything you deliver is verbal, face to face, right? You don't write anything down. But if you, you know, that that's, you know, we're, we're running a business here and you're in the West coast and I'm in, in central Canada. We, you know, we can't do it face to face. Right. So, um, so there's, there's other, we need other mechanisms, but if you want something that's a hundred percent encrypted and a hundred percent secure and face to face is not practical, then you need to look to some other technology other than email eventually. For most right. people, is it good for 95% of the time? Yes, I would argue it is. If you're just saying, mm -hmm. hey, you want to go to the bar on Friday night. But for for this 5% edge case, no, it, it's time to use something else. Well, okay. Right. So, so Mike, that leads me to think that uh, you know we've got a solution called ManyOne. Mm-hmm. Explain that again to, to those newer uh, listeners who may not be completely uh, familiar with that. So one of the things about email is it is old and it is an old protocol and it is something that was meant to be just like a, to behave like mail, right? So it is that one place you have an address, whether it's an email address or a physical address that you write on the back of a postcard, right? So the, so, so, but that is inherently, it's also kind of an example of decentralization, 
right? Because it's right. it's a place where you it's that one place where anybody can type something and it comes to you. Okay, so so you've got an address. You get the postcard from Jeff in Spain, and it it will come there because it's got that it's got that address that everybody can read and know, right? So in order to have anonymity. You have Jeff has to be able to write something on a postcard that doesn't that isn't your street address, okay? Like some garbled thing, mm-hmm. and the mailman still needs to be your mail person still needs to be able to get it to you, right? Okay, so in order to do that, there's there like and these are you know the 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 idea that you so you have this decentralized container say that's what we're kind of we're kind of modeling many one after you have this decentralized container that's like your mailbox. Okay. And then you basically can, can exchange a garbled identifier and we call it a QR code. Okay. Mm-hmm. Everybody mm-hmm. knows what they are. I show you a QR code, you scan it. Okay. So there's no address. I don't know your physical address, Henry. Or your phone number. But now I can send email. you a message or anything. Right. And, and there, I don't even have an address for you. I have a little thing in a little contact in my, in my you know container that says Henry with your picture, but there's nothing else that identifies you. Mm-hmm. So I can send you a message and that's, there you go. Okay. So right now there's all of a sudden you've got something where, you know, you're removing that address component of it. Then what you need to do is you need to say, okay, now when I write something, that address on there and, or when I send something to you, how do I get it to you in such a way where nobody knows who's sending it and who's receiving it? This is the anonymity part of this proton mail problem. Right. Right. This person still had an, you know, an address that could be associated with them and all these records on the back end. Okay. So what do you, what did Proton Mail say in their response to this climate activist arrest? Yeah. They actually said themselves that they should use, that you should use Tor, which is the onion router. And this is an anonymity service. So, you know, when you're, when you're structuring a centralized thing, you have to, everything gets bolted into one server. When you're structuring a decentralized things, you can take different pieces from different places. Right. So Tor is an open source way to basically, you know, establish an address for say your device or you and my device or you. And then anytime I send something from my address to you, Henry, your address and my address are never revealed to anybody in the middle. And is that because it gets bounced to a whole bunch of different places? Exactly. So it goes, say, from, you know, it goes from me to, you know, uh, uh, another server somewhere that I don't even know. Like, for all I know, you know, my postcard from Spain could go through Bermuda. Right. Right. And then it gets to you. And now, if you have that simple thing, in this, even in this ProtonMail case, if you have that, if you use Tor... If you get the subpoena, right, and it says, give me the information, there's no information that can actually be tracked. Yeah, yeah. To track your, that, they may know that your address is here, Henry, somehow, and they may know that Jeff's address is there somehow, but they will never be able to to, to track where those things are and how the things get to each other. And in fact, um, Tor, the, 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 the utilization of Tor is inherent in our uh, first generation of many one, isn't it? So it is an, indeed untrackable. As Jeff said, it's one of, the, one of the things that you get when you work in this, in this decentralized world is you, you basically have to build everything yourself, yeah. pretty much. You know, and so you don't have this luxury of saying, oh, well, that's easy. I'm just going to take that. And that's easy. I'm just going to take that. 
So thankfully, we've got some open source folks like the Tor project people mm-hmm. who are, you know, building this stuff and maintaining it and doing it to allow people to, to maintain this anonymity. So, you know, we can use some things, but a lot of it we just have to build. And so because of that, we have this idea that when we build many one, the number one tenet is we want as little information on anybody as we can possibly have. So when we get served the subpoena, and I'm sure it's going to happen, yep, because I think everybody gets it at some point, we literally can open the doors and say, here you go, there's nothing. Or very little that can be ident- that, that could be used to, say, track down this climate activist. Right. And part of that is because we're going to incorporate TOR into the actual, you know, the way that we communicate. It's the actual messaging and addressing layer. Fantastic. I'm really looking forward to it. Obviously, decentralization is the way of the future because centralization has caused nothing but problems. Yes, it gave us the promise of the internet and it made it real, but we need to perfect it now. And I'm I'm proud to be involved with, with many one and I think we're going to be able to do that. One last thing I'm going to say, remember, I don't think the centralized internet's going anywhere when it comes to things like services and stuff oh, like this. of course. Okay? Yes. You're, you're, you're always going to have cloud-based apps, and, and, and that's just the way it is. But the way that you access these services, the way that you identify yourself, and the way that you communicate, especially important information with your friends, your family, your colleagues, journalists, whatever, your client, your climate activist buddies – that piece you can take off of the centralized internet. You should, you know, we should all be moving away from Gmail and all of these things for that type of communication. That piece needs to, needs to decentralize. I think the centralized internet's always going to be there. How we access it is the thing that's going to change and it has to. Very well said, Michael, because all of us deserve a private way to communicate because we've had it since the dawn of time. Then we got online and it was taken from us. That's exactly right. Precisely. Thank you, Michael. Jeffrey, thank you so much. Thank you, Henry. Thank you, Henry. Bye for now.